Hello everybody and welcome to the Kane and Rinse podcast, volume 8, issue 365. We're up to Final Fantasy 9. You can play along with upcoming issues of the Kane and Rinse podcast by playing the games Pony Island. If you've never heard of it, it might not be what you think. Doom 2016 or Very Doom, Persona 5. After that, Josh and Lee are very excited about that one, I'm sure. <laughs> They're both here. And Disney's Aladdin. We're covering both the 16-bit versions of that game, Mega Drive and Super Nintendo, different approaches, different developers, and a curious case. Hopefully that should tie in around the time of the release of the live action and CG Guy Ritchie. Is it, it is Guy Ritchie who's doing Aladdin, isn't it? Insane. I don't know. I really haven't gotten past the, uh, the Blue, Blue Will Smith thing. Blue, Blue yeah. Will Smith, yes. <laughs> um, so we'll be looking back to Blue Robin Williams anyway. And after that, we're going to cover the first in the Osaru Get You series, Ape Escape, to those of us in the West. Canorince.com, as we always say, is the place to go for the schedule up to and including the end of the year, and as well as all our other outlets and bits and bobs and bits of writing and other things. You can get the show a week earlier. Every Canorince podcast comes out the Monday before you normally get it. You have to support us, though, to the tune of a whopping $1 a month, 76p, 0.88 euros, patreon.com slash canarince. And on top of that, your podcasts are often extended and you get format specials three months early and you get an exclusive monthly show with Jay and I as well. We also have a PayPal button if you want to just flip a coin into our upturned hat. We also do three other podcasts now. Under our wing, we have Sound of Play on Wednesdays, Video Games Music, Video Games Creation on Thursdays with Playwright and Video Game Interviews with Developers on Fridays with Chris O'Regan's The Sausage Factory. Subscribe, review and rate all of our podcasts. You'll enjoy each one in a different way. As I say, review and rate them on whatever your media choices are, whether it's Apple Podcasts or elsewhere. If you can give us a like or a review or a few words of encouragement, it's all very welcome. As is a follow on the old social media, Twitter, Instagram. Or Facebook, even. Now joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 365, are Joshua Garrity. Hello there. He would die for Vivi. <laughs> yep. Uh, Queena is her spirit animal, Leah Haydu. Oh, I love Queena. I just, I feel, I feel a sense of, uh, a sense of brother slash sisterhood. Yes. Gender non-specific hood. Uh, siblinghood. And welcome for the first time. We have uh, somebody who reached out in the modern parlance and contacted us to come on and talk specifically about Final Fantasy IX. It's Chris Lane. Hey there. Thanks for having me. Well, our pleasure. Uh, if if uh, I was saying to you before we started recording, if somebody would do this for every game we had, uh, uh, an, a passionate, erudite fan of every specific game we were covering, that would, uh, that would be an amazing thing. So we appreciate your tugging our coattails. And joining us for this though this show. So very briefly, what's your um, uh, what do you do outside of uh, Kate and Rince that made you think you were a fit for uh, coming on this here podcast? 
Uh, well, outside of the uh, Kenny Rin stuff, I've got, um, well, it's a you know, dormant, essentially, YouTube channel, but... Oh. Uh, so, well, it's not that, not that it's dormant. It's still kind of ongoing, just, you know, life being what it is. I haven't really had a of chance course. to actually add up much content on it recently. Um, but yeah, just a gamer for pretty much my entire life. My massive Final Fantasy fan as well. Yep. And uh, I've been playing 9 pretty much since its release up until present day, to be honest wow. with you. Um, did a bit of freelance reviews for uh, a few independent Irish websites as well. And uh, yeah, pretty much just an avid gamer and uh, fan of the podcast. So yeah, absolute pleasure to be here. Perfect. So Final Fantasy IX then, the developer, as was the case for the previous eight, is Squaresoft. Development began before Square had finished development on the previous game, Final Fantasy VIII. The game was developed in Hawaii as a compromise to developers living in the USA, apparently. Uh, as the series' last game on the PS1, Sakaguchi producer envisaged a reflection on the older games of the series. Leading up to its release, Sakaguchi called Final Fantasy IX his favourite Final Fantasy game, as, quote, it's closest to my ideal view of what Final Fantasy should be. Uh, this shift was also a response to demands from fans and other developers. Additionally, the team wanted to create an understandable story with deep character development. This led to the creation of the active time events, more of which later. Uh, the scenario of the for the game was written once again by Sakaguchi, which he began planning around the summer of 1998. Uh, in the game's conceptual stage, the developers made it clear that the title would not necessarily be Final Fantasy IX, as its break from the realism of Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VIII <laughs> may have alienated audiences. This led fans to speculate that it would be released as a guide-in or side story to the main series. However, by late 99, Squared confirmed that the game would indeed be published as Final Fantasy IX, and by early 2000, the game was nearly finished. The developers made several adjustments to the game, including changing the ending seven times, according huh. to Wikipedia. Hmm. Uh, so this one's what they ended up with, huh? <laughs> uh, um, so yes published by squaresoft in japan and the relatively new at the time squaresoft europe in europe and in north america squaresoft had some distribution help with electronic arts so actually it's worth saying that while hironobu sakaguchi was indeed the scenario writer and producer of this game it's actually i think the first game to be directed uh, by Hiroyuki Ito. Was it his first directorial game? Having been, I believe, the battle system designer on 8 and uh, 6 as well. And this was his sort of directorial debut and he would go on to direct one more, which is 12, which obviously we'll be covering in a few months' time. The game was released in July 2000 in Japan. A few months later, the English US English translation arrived in North America in November 2000 and as was usually the case we had to wait I guess seven months six months from the original Japanese release not as bad as it has been sometimes in the past but the European version came out in PAL territories in February 2001. As always we're going to hear some memories recollections and opinions from the Kena Rinse community as we go along. We're going to start with Mechner who remembers this time Mechanist says, this was the first Final Fantasy game I ever played and it remains my favourite in the series. It was both mine and my older sister's birthday and I vividly remember my dad bringing us to a local shopping centre so we could get one game each from the now long-defunct Games World. We didn't have that much time to peruse the shelves as we were picking up my mother from the hospital, so we were told to pick a game each and do it quickly. 
Earlier that week, I remember speaking to a friend of mine in school who was a huge fan of the series. He often talked about Final Fantasy VII and his favourite, Final Fantasy VIII. He would describe how cool Squall was with his gun blade and how exciting the narrative was. I was enraptured by his childlike imaginative description of the action that took place in the game series. I wanted to try it, though I had no idea it was turn-based or even what a JRPG was. I was looking for Final Fantasy VIII that day, but all that was available in the shop was nine. I looked at the front art, then at the back. It seemed adult, classy, prestigious. Definitely not something I was used to on consoles yet, but it drew me in. It was exciting. I handed it to my dad, and then my sister handed her choice so he, he could purchase them for us. Final Fantasy IX was €44.99. I was nine years old, and my sister got Mary-Kate and Ashley's magical mystery more. On arriving home, I was blown away by the opening CG of Mary-Kate and Ashley. No, I'm kidding. Though all in all, my first experience of the game was a letdown. I thought it would be action-oriented and fast-paced like my friend described. Instead, it was slow, strategic and story-heavy. Honestly, I didn't like it at all. I remember even considering asking my dad if we could return it. I felt I had wasted a rare opportunity to get a new game. But I slept on it and kept coming back to the game. One day, I came in to take over the PS1 from my sister and found that she was deeply engrossed in the game. Mary-Kate and Ashley hadn't made the grade. I watched her play and finally started to see the things that my friend had described. I didn't have to play, I could just watch the wild action on screen while growing to love the characters and story as my sister played. I also had a massive crush on Garnet, which my sister often teased me about, often naming Zidane after me to further drive her point home. I didn't care. I lived vicariously through Zidane, pretending Garnet was my girlfriend. Over some months, I grew to understand how the game worked. Then, suddenly, I was the one playing Final Fantasy IX, and my sister was the one watching. The characters and charm of the world in Final Fantasy IX specifically have stayed with me since the day I picked up the box. I'm not fully sure why. I think it's probably a mix of the age I was and everything that came together that I haven't seen in any other games in the series. It's wholesome, charming, bright, childlike and heartfelt, kind of like a good Pixar Disney movie. Coming to Kane and Rince in 2020, Mary-Kate Nashley's Mystery Mall. Yeah, yeah, so it's on the list with Barbie Horse Adventures. I've been lobbying for that for four years. <laughs> yeah, at least. At least. Uh, so the the game has since come out. Uh, there was a long, long gap between that February 2001 release and the game becoming available on any other system other than, I guess, uh, PSN. So you could play it on, download it and play it on uh, PS3, PSP or uh, Vita. But the iOS Android version uh, versions arrived in February 2016. This uh, sort of remaster, if you will, features high definition movies and character models, an autosave feature, seven quotes game boosters or kind of game breakers really uh certainly helping hands also has achievements on whatever system you're playing the version uh, this version forms the basis for all the subsequent releases uh, pc in 2016 ps4 in september 2017 and very recently just two months ago if that the switch and xbox one versions finally arrived in february 2019 but i guess for somebody like you chris that just means another excuse to rattle through it over and over again and get a whole bunch more joy out of this uh, this favorite pair of trousers of yours james mccall from the forum says i love final fantasy 9 the characters and the magical world drew me in the graphical style felt like a breath of fresh air at the time and of course the superb music brought everything to life it remains to this day the only Final Fantasy game I've managed to complete 
and with the recent Switch release I have dived straight back into its wonderful world. The reviews at the time, back in 2000-2001, were very positive, as it was usually expected for a new Final Fantasy game, with uh, averaging around 93%. Since then, the game still, when it comes out again, does pretty well, I would say. Uh, high 8s, mid 8s on the ha uh, iOS and Androids, uh, mobile systems, PC and PS4. The Switch version has actually reviewed ever so slightly less well, at uh, sort of 79%. Um, that's partly because probably it's had slightly more reviews than the previous uh, versions. Um, I think a lot of people were looking forward to getting this game on Switch, but I, I bet you it's the best selling of the recent versions. Um, it felt to me like just word of mouth, you know, um, anecdotally people were saying, I am so good, you know, this is ideal for Switch kind of thing. Looking at punter scores, user reviews on Nintendo Life, it has a 9. Push Square, it has 9. And on Moby Games, it has 4.2, which is, again, all very healthy. The game, sales-wise, had sold over 5.5 million copies worldwide by February 2016, and that was before any of those modern versions we just talked about. So we've got no idea how many more millions it sold on Android, iOS, PC, PS4, Switch, and Xbox One. So um, I wonder. It'd be interesting to know at some point, but digital sales figures, as we know, are a problem. Alex79UK from the forum says, I've abandoned countless attempts to get through Final Fantasy IX. In many ways, it's an amazing technical achievement. It ticks all the right boxes for a Final Fantasy game of that era. Fantastic detailed graphics, a wonderful soundtrack and a big open world. I just didn't like it enough. I didn't like the characters. I didn't like the jumping about, controlling different people. And I didn't really like the story or some of the game mechanics. I can appreciate it for what it is and understand why people often say it was a return to the series roots but it never even came close to 7 and 8 for me. I wanted to include that one just because I've heard that exact same sort of review many times over the years. Uh, as always, with each game in a series, it'll have its uh, diehards, its uh, evangelists, and those who, yeah, didn't dig it at all compared to its forerunners or even successors in some cases. So now we want to talk about our individual histories. We've alluded to yours, Chris, already, but... Um, do you have memories of the game coming out? And obviously you've said you are a massive Final Fantasy fan, but were you going into this one having already beaten 7 and 8 or even going back to the 16-bit days? Yeah, uh, when it first came out, uh, I played Final Fantasy 7 and 8. I had finished Final Fantasy 7, I think it was twice, and I had gotten to the castle at the end of Final Fantasy 8 uh, when you get stripped of all of the abilities, and I was really bad at JRPGs back then. So 8 kind of crushed me at that point. So I never actually finished that until I think a couple of years later, actually, mm -hmm. uh, when I got back around to it. Um, I remember when it came out, I didn't actually know that it had been released until I saw it on the shelf in a shop. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was more or less around the day that it was released. And um, I was just, I know it must have been just oblivious at the time. But I remember the weekend from when it got released, I, uh, I rented it. And anybody who has ever rented a Final Fantasy game will know that that's just not a wise financial investment at all. Because uh, you wouldn't mind, but I had played 7 and 8, so I knew what a long slog I was in for, but I still went for it anyway. Um, so yeah, I rented it, and on that first weekend, I got as far as the first Black Walls fight, and uh, I just that sea line just slapped me into annihilation countless times, yeah. and uh, I had to bring the game back. Um, so the following weekend, I learned absolutely nothing. I went and I rented it again. <laughs> 
just I, I don't know I, it was such a bad call you wouldn't mind I remember looking at the discs in the box and after that first weekend I was thinking Four surely discs, I'm near yes. yeah and I was thinking surely it must be near the end of disc one now no. so if I rent it again there uh, I should be close enough I was very optimistic back then yeah. um so after that second rental, I, uh, I went ahead and I bought it um, not long after that. And I actually, I still have my original, the, the PS1 um, game. I still have that in my shelf Lovely. of games. It is the only PS1 game that I actually still have. Um, mm. I don't know what happened to the rest over the years, but that one was all special. I always made sure that one was kept safe. Yeah. Um, and there was just something about it. I think, um, I think it was the Sakaguchi said that for him, this was his favorite Final Fantasy just because to him it was a closely most closely resembled what he thought a Final Fantasy game should be yeah and I remember when I was playing 7 and 8 as much as I absolutely loved those games I mean I played 7 I thought this is the best game ever I played 8 mm. and I thought this is the best game ever <laughs> and when I played 9 it actually made me realize what I wanted a Final Fantasy game to be without knowing what I wanted if you get what I mean you yeah. know because I, I hadn't played any of the previous ones um, right. I, I love the setting. I love the characters. I love the kind of the visual aesthetics of it. I love the soundtrack. Just absolutely everything about this game, I ended up falling in love with. Um, and yeah, I just remember as soon as I got it, I was pretty much glued to it until I got to the end. Um, it's not a perfect game. It has its flaws. Um, I'm not I'm not blind to those. But I think for me, it is my favorite Final Fantasy game, and it is definitely in my top three favorite games of all time as well. And I remember there was a friend of mine back then as well, kind of a childhood friend, who was the only other person I knew who liked JRPGs and also Final Fantasy. So um, I just remembered, you know, you know, the, the internet wasn't really a thing where you could kind of hop onto forums and kind of chat with other people who were into it. So a lot of it was just kind of like friends that you had. So um, it was just a really good thing to kind of experience alongside my friend. And we were pretty much racing each other to see who could get to the end first. But yeah, it's, um, it's, it's been in my library. I bought the PS3 emulation of it. Um, just I didn't need it. I still have my PS2 and I have my PS1 version as well, so I could still play that. But any version of the game that came out that I could buy, I just wanted to just to kind of show my support as well. And um, yeah, to, to this day, I still play it on the PS4. Um, I think I'm on playthrough number two or three on the PS4 version now. Good. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's just one of those games that every so often when I finish it, I'll leave it for a little bit, but then I'll always go back to it again just because there's something about it. It might be that kind of like childhood nostalgia that it has for me. But um, it's just one of those games that it'll just always have that special place in my heart. All right. Leah. Yeah, so I um, I would have already played 7 and 8, but probably not much else uh, in, the, in the series at that point. Mm. And I've actually kind of done a turnaround on, on 9 since the first time that I played it. Not completely, uh, but uh, I... The first time that I played Final Fantasy 9, uh, I would have um probably borrowed it from one of my friends um and i i didn't like it that much right off the bat uh mm -hmm. and, and i think that that was mostly because i didn't at the time i did style and that that um just kind of all of the stylistic decisions that they made through the game were not something right. that I liked a whole lot. Uh, I, I was mm. in, in the mindset at that point that, like, you know, I'm, I'm coming off of Final Fantasy VIII, which is so realistic, and it's very science fiction, and now I'm coming... You loved Emo Squall and his buckles. Exactly. I was very, uh, I was very much uh, into the the kind of more adult, as I saw it then, <laughs> yeah. story of, uh, of, of Final Fantasy VIII. 
and uh you know and then you're coming into final fantasy 9 and it's who's this this guy with the large head and the tail he looks like david bowie crossed with a monkey and, and it just it doesn't it it didn't click with me at that time i thought it was kind of kitty and i didn't like the uh battle system as much uh i was very into junctioning which is I that we had a whole discussion yeah. about junction. Check out our into that, but, um, but I was very into that, and I saw this as kind of a downgrade because it's not as uh, hmm. it's not as complex, yeah. and and you know, and and I think that I was kind of an idiot when I was twenty one ish. So <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 Especially willing to Josh. admit that. Um, <laughs> hey, it wasn't even me this time. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, so when I played it, I, I didn't care for it that much uh, to begin with, and I've played it a couple of times since then. Most recently, uh, I finished my most recent playthrough on the PS4 version yesterday, and um, I think that it actually, playing it now, probably holds up better than 7 or 8 coming to it as kind of a, a fresh game. Mm. Now, you cannot separate nostalgia from these games. It's not possible nope. but um, it, for me at yeah. least i'm sure it may be for some people yeah. but um yeah i i think that uh i appreciate it a lot more now than i mm. did when it first came out uh and we'll, we'll talk about some of the details as to why that is uh, as we go through here but uh yeah i i did play it pretty close to when it came out and did not care for it that much and now i uh i have a bit of more appreciation for it so josh where were you at at this time or when did you come to final fantasy <laughs> 9 um, so I was also 11 at the time oh, yeah. of this game's okay. release, um, but I wasn't I wasn't paying much attention to the latest releases. So Final Fantasy IX... Uh, Shaking my cane at you three. <laughs> <laughs> um, Final Fantasy IX uh, passed me by at the time. Uh, it wasn't until years later um, when I joined the Digital Cowboys forum <laughs> There was a oh, yeah. um, a game club uh, section, and one of the games that was agreed upon was Final Fantasy IX. And it's funny how memories uh, play tricks on you, because I, I remember thinking I got a decent chunk through this game. <laughs> um, and I, having you know started from the beginning again and played through the whole thing, I realized I only got as far as Alexandra on disc one. So I barely got into the game at all when oh. I first played this. You got a so, decent chunk of the way through a disc. So. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I had hardly played any of Final Fantasy IX um, before uh, starting it up for this, for this uh, recording. Um, I was going to play the Switch version. Um, I, I even bought it. Um, but some of the... Um, conversation around the the sound bug and and all of that stuff it, in retrospect i probably shouldn't have paid attention and just gone with the switch version but i elected to go with the uh ps vita the uh emulated yeah. version of the playstation i'm One quite glad you did in the end it gives us contrast uh, yeah. but um yeah i uh i i i envy you guys um mm. i think that some of the accessibility stuff I would oh, yeah. have appreciated towards the end of that game, mm -hmm. and um, I think uh, the load times <laughs> for the Europe—I don't know how the American uh, PS One version is, but similar. Um, oh, okay. Well, similar, the load but times, slight, you know, slightly better. But... The load times aren't great, um, 
but even I mean, which is crazy on a Vita, you know, yeah. because it, it it emulates the whole experience so accurately that even if you turn on fast loading, it's still it's still really slow. Yeah. What I will say is, um, having looked at video footage of the more recent version and the 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 PS Vita version, uh, PlayStation version, sorry. Um, I do think the aesthetic, when, and when I say aesthetic, I don't just mean like the character models and the and the um, the uh, backdrops, uh, but I mean like the the font and yeah. all the text and stuff. Yep. I think it's much more cohesive in the original version than it is yeah. in the the newer version. Yes, yeah, uh, they've done a similar job um, to what to what they did with five, where the whole thing uh, on like on PC is again go and listen to that show rather than waste time here, but. Yes, the fonts are these very smoothed out kind of um, modern and again, probably much better for accessibility, for legibility. But in terms of actually fitting in with the cohesive aesthetic, not so much. Um, So, yeah, I think an option to restore the original fonts would have been nice. But on the plus side, as Chris has already alluded to, you do get higher res assets and some cleaned up mm. uh, sprites and polygons yeah. and it reminds and me of what they did with Final Fantasy 7 actually because you have the, it's very similar you have yeah. these super clean uh, and and very nice looking sprites but you still have more or less the original backdrops which are beautiful and very well done but they're not in the same style because you can't really yeah. do the same thing not without uh, remaking so yeah it's no. it's for the first bit of it it was a little uh, a little off putting to me um, yeah but uh, it turned out okay in the end. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I uh, finished the game two hours before <laughs> this recording session. Nice really well close done. to the wire, this one. Yes. Well, I was 29 when this game came out in uh, everywhere, in fact. Um, I bought it day one, even though I hadn't yet finished any of its predecessors because, you know, I was just buying all the big new games as they came out and I enjoyed them even if I didn't finish them. But this one came out, I'm pretty sure I remember buying this on the same day as I had a really difficult breakup with a lady, friend. Um, and so I, there was always that kind of slightly negative association. I definitely did load it up and um, play just a little bit of it, some a few hours maybe, the first few hours. Um, but it didn't it didn't grab me to the extent that I needed to carry on at that point. So, you know, put it aside, as, I, as I've always done with many, many games. Genuine intention to play them at some point. Um, never got round to playing it on the four-disc PS1 version. Sold that at some point. I think I then got the PSN version. I think it may have even been a PS Plus title, back when they used to give away PS1 games on uh, PlayStation Plus. Never got round to playing that one properly either. Um, and so eventually the that ps4 version came out it was a surprise release as i recall it was they released it uh as as it was announced kind of thing at a, a square or was it ps the playstation expo type event or something like that it just sort of popped up on the store and i heard that it had the i knew i knew it was a port of the the mobile versions the pc version but i heard that it had the sort of uh the the speed up mechanics and and helpers if you needed them and stuff and trophies yes all those kind of things so i bought it again with a view knowing that we would almost certainly cover it for cana rinse at some point and yeah i played it over the last month or so and finished it slightly earlier than josh um this afternoon there we go uh this is your spoiler warning we're going to talk about the story we're going to talk about that first 
So uh, we may mention things that you don't want to know if you've never played this game. So the scenario and setting, according to Wikipedia, the game's developers sought to make the game's environment more fantasy-oriented than its uh, PlayStation predecessors, at least. And of course, Final Fantasy VI or three in America also had sci-fi uh, elements to it as well. Uh, the creators wanted to prevent the series from following a redundant setting. Final Fantasy IX distinctly break, breaks from those futuristic styles of seven and eight by reintroducing the medieval setting. In the game, steam technology is just beginning to become widely available. The population relies on hydropower, wind power for energy sources, but sometimes harness this magical mist, which uh, covers uh, one continent of the land and is actually quite a key part of the the story as well or steam to cover uh, to power sorry more advanced engines continuing with the medieval theme the game setting is inspired by norse and northern european mythology according to director ito the development team is attracted to european history and mythology because of its depth and its drama uh, nut raptor from the forum says the game has strong central characters each of them has a striking physical appearance that clearly sets them apart from one another they each have clearly defined character traits and they each experience a character arc over the course of the story. We'll hear from more folks, uh, but let's start with Chris. So you've revisited this game. We've already heard dozens of times over the years. Uh, you like to replay it and replay it. That, even if you love the mechanics to death, um, it's got to be a lot to do. It's got, the, it's got to be that you find the actual scenario, the setting and the characters as appealing as anything to to have that sort of grip over you yeah absolutely um it actually to this day it does have my favorite of the final fantasy settings um it just it looks so distinct i don't know what it is i can't quite put my finger on it but like every environment and every city and every town it just looks beautiful i think you know mm. um so yeah um lindblom is still one of my favorite i think it is my favorite city actually in any final fantasy game there's just something mm. about that huge kind of medieval but steampunky technologically advanced city um that just i don't know i just i always just like walking around it and i always take my time with that um i do love all of the characters but i do have one uh, amarant i think is mm. probably he's good as a party member in a fight but yeah. i think as a like as a story character yeah i always feel like the story would actually be more interesting if he was removed and if maybe sir fratley or uh, beatrix were placed into the party yeah instead. i wish you got to yeah. play more of beatrix yeah because yeah, she is awesome and you know she has that relationship with steiner so she would fit into the actual core group of characters already whereas amaranth yeah. just kind of feels like this guy who's tagging along to see what makes zidane so strong and it just turns out it's just that zidane has his core team and his friends around him but i don't know amaranth just kind of feels like a guy who just somebody had to fill the last slot and it feels like he was just <laughs> you know in you go whereas um that is the one thing about the story that actually even when i was playing through my most recent playthrough i felt it more than anything because amaranth showed up and he just i don't know i just felt like oh this guy you know i wondered <laughs> if he was almost a satire on squall like he's such a grump yes. miserable so, loner here here's yeah. here's another uh i i agree completely um but <laughs> because the, here's another story about how horrible i was when i first played this game um i my party uh, the couple of times that I had played Final Fantasy IX uh, until my most recent playthrough when I changed it completely was always uh, Zidane and uh, Garnet Dagger. Um, and then Freya, mm. who I still like. I think 
Ray is awesome. And uh, and Amaranth, because I thought, well, you know, he's just too cool for the rest of them. He's, uh, you know, he's he's a badass. He doesn't care what anybody else thinks. And he can hit things real hard. And he uses claws. And now I'm, I'm, I'm finding myself very much in agreement with the fact that maybe he was kind of extraneous to the thing all along. And they did it to capture people <laughs> like me who were kind of not... Uh, who, uh, yeah, maybe shouldn't have been, <laughs> uh, with, with that. Um, yeah, th this most recent time around, I, I also did use Zidane and Dagger, uh, but instead of those other two, I switched them out for Vivi, who is amazing, and, um, yeah, yeah, and I, uh, I wish that I had liked him more before, uh, because now I, I, he's great. Uh, and, um... Uh, Quina, Kina, Kina, Quinoa, Quina. Uh, whichever <laughs> uh, you prefer. I think it is. A, I think it is meant to be a pun on on quinoa, which wasn't much. Yeah, I was of a gonna say. I don't know. Then, it might have been a little really too popular. early for people to be. Well, whatever. Uh, but Quina. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna Maybe go not in Quina. Japan. Um, but uh, Quina also in my party. Um, just because I I always find the concept of blue mages in Final Fantasy games to be really cool, but they're very difficult to use well. Uh, and I, I, I did some horrible things to bosses using Quina, um, and, uh, yeah, um, and, and also I think it's fascinating that it is a race, uh, that doesn't have gender or, uh, or, uh, has both genders or that gender is kind of a mutable thing, um, because that's not something that really mm. would have been talked about or referenced in, in that time period as much, um, I, I don't no. I don't think I, I, I can't think of anything else that really I would have found that to be a thing. And, and it's not really a thing other than that. Mm. They all kind of refer to Quina as as S slash he. So she he. That's um, right. And yeah. there are a couple of characters that will call either she or he, uh, but not that many. Most of them just kind of go with both. And, and I just found that interesting. So, uh, but really it's just that I also like to eat a lot of things and I identified very strongly with that um, <laughs> because I often found myself uh, kind of, yeah, God, why'd you have to kill that thing? I was going to eat it. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, right. There's also that very sweet scene where uh, Vivi and Quina get married kind of, yeah. uh, or go through a service <laughs> And rather than yes. being played for kind of often, you know, you might expect games of this origin in this era to be kind of, well, hey, look at these guys yeah. being gay. It's just this kind of incredibly sweet, like, Queen so is happy. so happy. Like, yeah. that was, I thought that was great. I'm so happy too. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I just want to jump in because I think what I, and it's it's kind of bouncing off of what Leah's talking about there. there. I think what I love most about um, Final Fantasy IX setting and, and characters is that, yes, it's taking a huge amount of influence from the, the older Final Fantasies, but they find loads of like interesting weird ways to kind of twist it and make it mm -hmm. slightly weird. So like Queena, Blue Mage, but she slash he eats the people that she <laughs> yeah. absorbs powers from. That's really, like, that's an interesting twist on a familiar mechanic that we've been exposed to before and then there's um uh, characters like freya like the the dragon knight is often like this super cool i'm gonna say it, white dude type character mm -hmm. and i just thought it was cool that they they took the like the 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 dragoon and 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 turned 
turn that character type into this cool rat lady, like the really yeah. cool design rat lady. Rodent lady, yeah. And it and and then you've got VV, who, um, oh my god, <laughs> like I mm. I I think um, if there's one character success in this 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 whole game, it's VV. I think I find his story so compelling and for him to just be essentially the the generic black mage you know character design yeah and then for them to inject so much pathos and so much mm. heart into that character and his story is so tragic and what i like about his story is it's tragic uh, you know i know we've already given a spoiler warning but maybe skipping ahead um you find out like about halfway through the game that his life has a very definitive endpoint and that 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 revelation is kind of tr- isn't treated like as a wow big explosion it's like a quiet melancholy that yeah. that revelation and he has to stay with it and think about it and there's no solution to that like you get to the end of the game and it, it, i think it's pretty clear that vv has passed on like he didn't find a cure or anything like that like he dies and i just found that heartbreaking like mm. and 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 playing through this game vv has become my favorite final fantasy game uh, final fantasy game final fantasy character because yeah. i think his arc is so complete in a way that i can't I can't think of a single Final Fantasy character um that that quite just nail like just knocks it out of the park in the same way that they've managed this character. Just adore him. And I think just on the story as well, just after talking about the, the VV storyline, like I think one thing that I've really actually noticed about this playthrough that I've done is that as time has gone by, the actual main storyline of the main narrative actually kind of takes a backseat for me to like the black mage storyline in particular and everything that happens with them um just the fact that you know i suppose a a spoiler warning is in effect and we are kind of jumping ahead but you know the whole fact that you know they become sentient and there's so many throwaway lines that if you pay attention to them actually paints a really kind of grim picture where some of them sort of gain their sentience in the middle of a battlefield where they're like standing over a corpse of somebody that Mm. they just killed Mm -hmm. they have maybe a year to live and in that time frame they have to kind of learn what it means to exist, um, come to terms with death, um, try and make their own little village and their own little community. Um, and then it was actually just earlier today when I was playing the game that I realized it's kind of a depressing thought, but by the time the game is over, you kind of realize that the black mages are now extinct, uh, aside from VV's little um, mm. mini VVs. But, you know, they're these guys who actually had an extremely traumatic um life cycle over the course of i think it's about a year isn't it that right. they have about a yeah. year lifespan um and you have to go through so much of essentially being born to dying in such a short time used frame. as military puppets as well yeah yeah and mm. um there was one there's just one dialogue but that sticks with me in the black mage village where you find um they're at the cemetery and there's one black mage who clearly just doesn't get the concept of death and he was talking about his buddy who, uh, as far as he knows, he just he stopped moving. Stopped, yeah. And yeah, and they put him into the ground and he doesn't understand why he's down there. And then there's this bid where he's like, oh, but when he wakes back up, I'm going to take him down to the river and wash him off. Oh. Not realizing that his buddy's not coming back. And mm. th- those were the bits that when I first played this game when I was 11, like that, all of that was kind of lost on me. Mm. Um, yeah. Pl- yeah. Playing it now, I, 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 I honestly, I enjoy that. And um, 
as well as that i actually enjoy uh, talking to all of the npcs in the different cities because a lot of effort actually went into giving them their own little kind of mini stories as well um and i don't know i'm one of those people that if i'm playing a final fantasy game i'll have to talk to every single npc it'll take me ages but i have to do it and uh, i did find that even with lindblom where you know you start talking to all of the npcs and then lindblom gets attacked and you know not everybody makes it out of that alive some people get blinded um and it was these kind of little story beats that like you could miss if you just don't talk to the npcs you would never get those little stories but um those kind of stuck with me a bit more on my kind of more recent playthroughs rather than the main story itself Mm. um which you know credit to the writers that's not that's not something that's in every game so i also think about this i don't know if there's a separate i noticed on the the title screen for the ps4 version there's uh separate options for us and uk english and i don't know if the localizations are slightly different but what i will say is that this was the period where squares certainly their european localizations were really so much stronger than they had been even just two three years before the language the 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 scripting is so much more you know it's it's just much more sensitively and tastefully done and well written and less clunky and heavy-handed and just seemingly badly translated which which does help with the storytelling a lot what i will say is that as usual for me with maybe video games in general, certainly a lot of AAA blockbuster movies and especially Final Fantasy films towards the end, the sort of the pull the curtain, there's one more bad guy, there's one more evil force. Um, I, and I guess it's partly it's a, a ludonarrative dissonance thing. Oh, because... you mean Necron, who is oh. never, ever referenced in any <laughs> part of the story up yeah, until kind of the very yeah. end. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's no. kind of a series tradition. It to is, do that. but that doesn't mean it's good. No. <laughs> yeah. It devalues Kuja as a villain as well, I think, that there I was agree. this Necron. Because what I really like about Kuja as a villain is, okay, he does the kind of stereotypical, I'm going to destroy the world, mohaha, but I like that he has a pretty personal reason for wanting to do it, where he just feels like he's been screwed over a by Garland. A massive strop. He, yeah, should exactly. have been, he should have been the Sephiroth of of final fantasy 9 like that that's yeah. something that i think final fantasy 7 really did get right is that the actual bad guy is the actual bad guy like that's yeah. the final fight that you well, have and it's, it's cooler because climactic. you think yeah for a point there's a point where you think garland is the you know the the puller of the string and i the, love that the they brought that guy. in because garland yeah. is of course from the first the game big bads yeah. of final fantasy one yeah. And mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of conspiracy theories there that uh, about connections and whatnot that yes, are fascinating always, if you yeah. have the time to look them up. But um, mm. yeah. Necron as well. For all the wonderful naming we've just talked about, Necron. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's death like man. death. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Death man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Poo. Um, what a shame. But um, but still, those those latter yeah. sections, there's a lot of, um, ex, you know, exclusively used pre-rendered um yeah. artwork in those areas which uh, i mean it is effectively it's another dungeon as you go mm-hmm. towards the end memoria and places like that but there's a there are a lot of locations <laughs> and i really do like how they conclude the kuja storyline with having zidane go back for him and you know knowing that they are essentially related and are from you know the same place and could have been the same they could have easily been in each other's shoes. I really like all of that. And then I think that it just kind of loses something when it's like, okay, well, you fought him and he's gone. So, uh, 
here's this guy who's going to cost a cast a bunch of status ailments and make you very upset yeah. sometimes. Yeah. yeah, that was uh, that was an. You guys uh, played the more recent version, which yes. allowed you to. Uh, yes, and I uh, I will I will fess up to having used uh, yeah. on my second go through. I had forgotten how annoying he was. Um, yeah. So yes, I have beaten the I have beaten that final fight legit. But this time around, I admit that I did use the uh, the battle boost. To, get to be honest with you, I can't really recommend anyone fight him legit. Because uh, he's, he's not fun to fight. No, um, honestly, because there are some like, status effects that you can't you can't do anything about. You can't yeah, block them. You can't yeah. get rid of them. It's annoying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and t- to be honest, like it, he's like the one point in the game that I can't really because I I you know spoiling final thoughts somewhat but like okay. i i love the game overall i i just adore it but like this it felt like such a like tr- you know tripping up at the finish line yeah. style moment not just narratively but like mechanically because i think the the boss fights leading up to necron are actually all pretty decent like mm-hmm. they're challenging but like in a good way yeah Whereas i didn't feel the need to um to boost myself silly. through any of them i was yeah. i was sufficiently skilled yeah. and leveled to tackle them all legit yeah um, mm. Just w- one more point on the story, um, and and this is you know uh, I hate to do this, Leah. Sorry, but comparing it to Final Fantasy VIII, it's just no, that's, that's okay. The, I've never the, said yeah. that that's the best story in. <laughs> but yeah. I I think it's interesting <laughs> that um so one of my, one of my complaints about Final Fantasy VIII was that um apart from Renoa and Squall, it felt like the cast just was n- just was not given enough time to develop. And I've playing through Final Fantasy IX made me realize why that was the case. And it's just that Final Fantasy VIII was f- just so full of plot, just so full of stuff mm-hmm. that they needed to get through and explain. There just wasn't any room for characterization or getting to know anyone. What I love about this game is that it feels like every location was designed to help you get to know a character a little bit better. Yeah. Like there's a whole section, you know, dedicated to Freya. There's there's quite a few sections dedicated to Garnet, uh, to Zidane, to Vivi. Um Amaranth less so, but even Amaranth like as much as we were complaining about him earlier, he's more memorable than the the sniper guy from Final <laughs> Fantasy VIII, who I've already forgotten it's the Irving. name of. Um, Irvin. Irvin. Yeah. Irvine. Uh, uh, oh, God. Uh, I forgot Irvin. Irvin. Irvine. Irvine. <laughs> yeah. But, like, it, you at the very least get, like, a sketch yeah. of Amaran. And I think that's what I, I really respect about Final Fantasy IX is the prioritization of characterization mm-hmm. over exposition. Like, it feels like everything was considered in in such a way as like how does this deepen our cast how does this make and i think vivi's the most successful Mm. example of that but i think the entire cast benefits from this sabutsu from the forum says vivi and zidane's journey to understand who they are and their purpose for living garnet's fight to prevent the loss of life and discovering her lost past and even characters like amaranth or main antagonist kuja confronted the player with different views on the act of living itself or more so in kuja's case death the impact and fear of steve aran however wasn't so enamored steve aran says i found a large chunk of the main cohort utterly infuriating the main culprit is zidane who due to the age of the game and massive cultural differences between the uk and japan comes across as a creepy sex pest yep yep i get that this is a well-worn anime trope 
but I just found most of his innuendo-infused comments ill-timed at best. The object of your lust has more on her plate than rebuffing your unwanted advances, Zidane, and are inappropriate at worst. Also found Steiner really grating. His entire raison d'etre in the first half of the game is simply to shout variations of, you can't do that. Thank goodness for Garnet and Vivi who balanced the irritation ratio out. Anyone who doesn't weep for Vivi's plight must have, have a heart of stone. And for anyone who's ever realized that their parents aren't the awesome people you thought they were, Garnet's narrative really hits home. Lynx Lynx from the forum says, the characters were all quirky and fun. Except for Zidane, who for the most part acts like a clingy and sexual harasser man-child. <laughs> I deeply wish he wasn't the main character, or that I could at least have had the option to switch him out of my party. To me, he was the least interesting character, and I felt little sympathy towards him due to his annoying behaviour. On the other hand, characters like Vivi, Freya and Steiner are really good, both in personality, but also via their respective struggles. I would, I would argue that he probably has the best trance. Maybe Vivi uh later on but um yeah it just i would have put probably freya in there uh in place of him if i had the option solution nine is one heck of a weapon it is yeah. yes but vv mm. casting flare multiple times especially after you get the half mp thing on him it's pretty good yeah that's how i, I beat hades <laughs> Just because um, some of the listeners have mentioned him and, and we haven't, I, I do want to shout, give a shout out to Steiner, mm. who maybe doesn't get the, the most, uh, um, I don't know, uh, heartfelt story in, in this game, but I just appreciated a character who wasn't super serious all the time. They're just like a Monty Python-esque knight <laughs> in the middle of all of this. Um mm. Uh, yeah, I just found it really funny and appealing. And um, after eight, where every character was the most serious and cool dude ever, uh, it was nice to have someone who was less than that. It's interesting the the reaction as a studio within you know internally whether it was completely deliberate. It's like we're going to aim this game eight at this certain crowd and this certain mindset with this aesthetic and nine is almost like a complete reaction to it yeah. even though there was that the, the, the development actually overlaps with these very you know brightly drawn literally and figuratively characters yeah it's uh something else uh while we're while we're on steiner um something else that's interesting uh mechanics wise is that i think this might be the only game up to this point in the series where having specific uh, combinations of characters in your party can have specific effects. And I'm thinking here of Steiner and Vivi, who if you don't have uh, Vivi in your party when you have Steiner in your party, then there are moves that you just can't do. Uh, his, his magic sword, you can only use that when Vivi is also in the party. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because yeah, there's no job swapping or anything like yeah. that. Everyone comes out the gate with a, with a defined role. And on that, I was going to say, actually, um, so you've got these eight characters, some of whom are more integral to the plot than others. There are various points where you can swap the party in and out, sometimes freely, sometimes you're given limitations. It struck me now, I haven't I still haven't played eight. I ended up missing that show and I still haven't completed that game. But I was th so I was thinking back to seven. Obviously, you've got the core group of characters, most of whom you can't miss. But you've got the two optional characters, mm -hmm. Yuffie and Vincent. In this, everyone's there regardless of what, and there's no secret characters. Is that is that, is that right? That there's is no... right. Uh, yeah. And also, there's you spend more time with a a proscribed party 
than you do with an yeah. optional party. Uh, mm. I don't. I don't think that you actually get to choose your party until what is it? Disc three, maybe end yeah. of disc two. Yeah, it is disc three. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, mm. I mean, and that's that's fairly unusual. Uh, and I like that actually because I will sometimes have choosing a party if there are multiple characters that I think are interesting or that I like, but I can't always have them all in my party. And then, you know, you run into the, mm. the issue of if you get somebody very late in the game, you don't have to use them. So they fall behind experience wise. And this, I think this is a, a, a more even approach to that because you are pretty much forced to use everybody at some point. And uh, yeah, I think, I think that's, I think that's a good way to do it because that way nobody falls too, too far behind. One bit I really didn't like, and maybe this was me clicking through text boxes too fast or, or not reading the signs, but there was a bit where you do get to choose a, a, a sub party for a certain mission. And I chose all my most powerful magic users. And then when I got to the place, I couldn't use any magic. Um, Oilvert or Oilvert. Oh, yeah, I yeah. I can never That's get the pronunciation. It. Yeah, difficult to pronounce yeah. place. So did it, does it actually stone. say, oh, by the way, you can't use magic there? Yeah, it's yes. very. It's a very short piece of dialogue, and I think okay. I could have signposted it mm -hmm. a bit better, right. but Kuja does mention there's some kind of magic barrier there. Uh, okay. No place for someone like me or something like that. And oh, there's also bad. a section mm. where um, you... The uh, the in Ibsen's castle, uh, where you don't want to use your most powerful weapons because they will do very little damage. It's an upside down castle, so all of your stuff is inverted too, and you want to use and, and that's that's a little bit better constructed, I think, because you do find extremely weak weapons in the chests as you're going through the the area. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. And yeah. if you even if you didn't catch it up to that point, you would probably be thinking, well, one, why am I doing so little damage? And two, why have they given me this beginning of the game dagger in my uh, in my treasure chest? So uh, it, it's it's interesting. I think that they did a fairly good job overall of the gimmicky kind of uh, dungeons or areas. There's far less of the obviously having come through the series from the uh, from eighty seven onwards and having played some of the the older installments where we talked about mm. frustration of repetitive, difficult to navigate mazes and trap rooms and areas where you couldn't even walk on the floor without casting float without taking yeah. constant damage. There's like modern games design. Obviously, we're now twenty years ago. This game is twenty years old, but. Con more contemporary game design meant that the actual process of getting around a place was less uh, frustrating, especially with the the tweak that you can do on the modern versions, which is to turn off random battles, which I think actually is, obviously it can leave you underleveled um, if you use it too extensively, but I actually think it can add to the atmosphere of exploring the dungeons because you're not constantly being, you know, music kicks in. Um, obviously you need that to happen some of the time, but uh, but I actually quite when when you because there's there's even some little sort of Resident Evil style puzzles and things in some of the dungeons and just constantly getting interrupted with random battles in those I just find it's yeah it's it feels incredibly archaic even even I then I the think the encounter rate was now. fairly low compared Relatively, to yeah, uh, some yeah. of the earlier uh, yeah I, it's, yeah. I, I thought that it was okay I that that was something that I didn't. Uh, use, but I did like that um, in the more recent versions, there are 
checkpoints or what amounts to checkpoints. Um, so, I mean, I, I always try yeah. to save whenever I can, but um, you, uh, even if you don't have a save yeah. point in some of these more modern uh, ports, uh, you will checkpoint before a boss or you'll checkpoint, you know, when you're going into a specific yeah. area. So if something happens that you're not expecting, then you, you might have a, a possibility mm. of kind of recovering that a little bit more easily than if you had been relying solely on the uh, save points. Yeah, I did find actually the the most useful times for turning off the random encounters was uh, in Fossil Rue because that's a very, you know, you have to run around flicking switches and it's a very puzzle-heavy dungeon and also mm. in the Desert Palace as well yeah. when you're running around because you, know, you have to light the candles and there's yes. a lot of little bits that you could do. So just, yeah, you're right, having those random battles kind of kick in every so often was an absolute pain. And yeah. the only other time that I did it was just before a boss fight. If I saved up, I'd use a tent. And I always dreaded getting into a fight then just before the boss. <laughs> yeah, and just because yes. there's this pair to me that needs to go in with full HP and full MP. And uh, so it's handy to just turn it off for a few seconds and then run on in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because I think the random battles is probably a mechanic that feels the most dated for me in Final Fantasy IX mm. at this point. Um, you know, because yeah. I was playing Dragon Quest Eleven Echoes of Elusive Age and they have it where it's still turn-based combat, but you can see the enemies out on the field and you can yeah. choose whether you want to run in and pick the fight or not. Yes. And that's much better than just having the game's algorithm just to say, oh, you took this few steps, now you're yeah. into a fight. And again, of course, we should say that Square had already done that as far back as the mid-90s with Chrono Trigger, but they elected not to do it as, um, as they kept going forward with Final Fantasy because seemingly because the fans either embraced it or there were technical reasons um, so that they could, you know, load in these more, uh, you know, extravagant and elaborate battles and enemies and stuff like that. So, um, but I think it's interesting. There's There's been a lot of conversation recently about author intent. And actually, if you play with these modern aids on, you could definitely argue that the game is, you know, you, you, are, you can basically walk through the game if you want you can completely cheat it uh, it's been included by modern square but whether the original creators of the game would have uh, countenanced such you know cheating uh, is is another matter but i personally think let the player have the choice if you want to beat the game by cheating um then you'll probably lose something but if you want to just say for instance avoid the frustration of having to do the final boss 18 times because you keep getting the a bad group of status effects then yeah whatever you can have the trophy as well in fact um, I wanted to talk as well a little bit about the actual storytelling in the sense of the uh, the ATEs. So these are active time events. Um, now, I don't actually know what happens if you don't do these. I assume because there's quite a lot of them seem kind of essential, but maybe you can streamline the story. But I, I found them in interesting as, a, as a, a way of telling the story, finding out what's going on places you're not or you know where Zidane isn't at least and seeing what the other people are up to but I also noticed just generally some more sophisticated cinematic storytelling in the sense that some scenes actually had more than one pre-rendered backdrop of the same area so that they could actually cut between shots and stuff like this to make it feel less rigid yeah, I, and I liked archaic the, and stagey. Uh, the inclusion of the ATs and this is not something that they ever actually did again to my knowledge um, but I I thought that those were no, right. interesting as you say as, uh, as a storytelling method um and i i think that if you didn't there there are a few that they will automatically take you to uh so that you don't actually have the option to uh to look at them or not but mm -hmm. i think that if you didn't didn't look at them there are a few places where you might miss out on a couple of items but i think that you could just 
if all you really wanted was just to go straight through uh, and and weren't interested in any of the peripheral story, then I I, I think you could just do that if you really wanted to. I'm not sure why you would, but uh, speedrunners, I guess. Yeah, because you can skip them, uh, the optional ones, uh, without any kind of consequences. Unless, okay. like, you know, in the modern version, uh, the, the PS4 one does a trophy. If, I think if you get all of the ATEs, then you get um, I can't, a movie critic, I think is yeah. what the trophy is yeah, called. Yeah, 79. I don't know where I missed it. Yeah. Yeah. What I like about the ATEs, though, mm-hmm. is I'm a sucker for, like, kind of world building and fleshing out characters in the world. So that is just something that I love. Them. It's actually, I'm disappointed that it didn't show up in the future games afterwards. But. I also thought it was a good incentive for, you know, if you're somebody who replays the Final Fantasy games a couple of times, if you're replaying it, because some of them get locked off, like you pick one and then you don't get to look at another, whereas on your second playthrough, you could just pick the ones that you missed and you're still getting extra story content that way. So it's a nice little incentive if you are returning for another playthrough. Also, I think that fits in with why they would, or well, maybe not why they would have, uh, dictated your party members at certain points but it it certainly does supplement it they know that you're not going to have this person and this person in your party at at a certain point so they want to kind of make sure that you don't forget about them essentially or uh, they want to be able to give you that little glimpse into what's going on and why they're not in your party at that at that particular point Um, and I think that it fits together pretty well I also think we got to a good point here where so I am, of course, a big fan of the old 16-bit, even the 8-bit uh, pixel art stylings with the incredibly limited animations and people just using ellipses and very simple animations to express a lot. But I think when we first jumped over to polygons, particularly in Final Fantasy VII, as much as I, I love that game, the the sort of the weird incarnations of the characters, the Popeye arms and all that stuff, and they're very, very limited emote, emote, um, gesticulations and things like that. Whereas here, now characters actually hug each other. They touch each other inappropriately at times. Yeah, but um, uh, VV pulling his hat down and, and um, all this stuff um, actually adds a lot just in a sense of, yeah, telling an animated story as well. Mr. Ixolite from the forum says, this is the game where, like a good book, I would show off passages to my to many hapless family members, excitedly rambling about scenes for which they have no context. It's the kind of game where I kept as many saves as possible across several jam-packed memory cards just so I could revisit favoured scenes. The gameplay is fine enough, but the reason I kept replaying Final Fantasy IX is for the joy of experiencing this particular narrative. One big contributor to my affection is the stylized art direction of the game, which has given it an identity all of its own. In terms of tone and presentation, Final Fantasy IX takes the second word in the series title, underlines it, and then puts it in italics and bold. And we end up with a world of hippo people and exaggerated caricatures populating jaw-dropping locations. Like a Hayao Miyazaki movie, everything seems to pop, which is in perfect service of an extremely colourful cast of characters. Yet, Final Fantasy IX isn't all sunshine and rainbows, and I find that it has the most visceral and emotionally affecting moments of any Final Fantasy game, precisely because of the contrast to its colourful tone and presentation. When Eidolons lay waste to cities in this game, it's absolutely horrifying to me. The duality of Final Fantasy IX is most perfectly encapsulated in its most iconic character, Vivi. With his memorable design, adorable hat-ringing animations and soft-spoken demeanour, Vivi instantly worms his way into your heart, only so it can be broken later. Vivi's journey across the game 
is maybe the best part of it and has re and has his resigned maturity and positive perspective stands in stark contrast to Kuja, who seeks to validate his existence by proving his superiority. He's desperate to be unique and reacts to the realisation of his mortality with a nihilistic temper tantrum of world-ending proportions. Like so many of the characters, Kuja could have easily been a regressive caricature, but the writing and committed thematic focus makes him my favourite villain in the series. The themes come to a head at the emotional centrepiece on Terror, where a depressed Zidane faces down a gauntlet of enemies and the entire cast comes to his rescue. Some might find Zidane's crisis too brief to be meaningful, but for me, the brevity is part of the point. At this point in the story, the bonds Zidane has forged with his friends are so strong that they will support him unconditionally and pick him right up when he's down. If you live your life showing kindness to others, they will return it in kind, should you need it. The entire scene is like a big loving hug from the entire cast. Final Fantasy IX is about how to cope with the inevitability of death, what defines one's identity and finding meaning in a seemingly meaningless and limited existence. And in all cases, the answer is other people. The love and support one can share with other people makes life worth living. How you engage with them defines your character and may help you grow. And this is what separates Vivi and Zidane from Kuja. As the haunting powerhouse of a melody goes, you are not alone. As an atheist, when people sometimes ask me, what's the point of living if there's no afterlife? I find Final Fantasy IX's answer more than satisfactory. The final shot and accompanying notes feel like closing statements on the very series, like Sakaguchi and Uematsu are intoning that this indeed is their definitive fantasy, and I couldn't agree more. If Final Fantasy VII opened my eyes to story as the driving force of video games, Final Fantasy IX defined what a story had to be to move me. Imagination, wit, colourful characters, an undercurrent of darkness, and a big, bleeding heart. I don't know why we bother sometimes, because that's just <laughs> too good, Mr. Exolite. Thank you for that. Well, um, Chris, you, yeah, you alluded to this, that, that actually the... I think I felt like this game, having now played it through, having seen beyond the first few hours that I'd seen all those years ago, the game does almost throw you a bit of a dummy. Like it does, you look at the box, you look at the intro CG, you start the game. Mm. It feels like it's going to be a kind of goofy fairy tale pantomime. And like most of the Final Fantasies, by the end, it's dealing with these big, heavy, weighty topics. Yeah, everyone's kind of struggling with the uh, the concept of their own existence. And actually that um that gauntlet with Zidane when he kind of finds out that he was created and that he could have been the angel of death and mm. you know, he's basically trying to push his friends away. What I loved about Zidane as a protagonist, creepy sex pest kind of mannerisms to one oh. side, kind of compartmentalize <laughs> that bit. But um although we we never got his perspective on the ladder and the airship, but yeah, but no, he that that was one bit of his character. <laughs> you victim blaming. <laughs> But um, that bit, I didn't like that bit of his personality. But one thing that I really liked about him after playing seven and eight was that he was this upbeat, happy-go-lucky, positive guy who was all about having friends and all about having people around him. And then you get this bit where he does a complete 180, where he's just trying to shove them away. And what I love as well is that it is, it's very brief. It's only a couple of minutes. It's a couple of fights. And then he comes back around again. But um, there is that, just that with the music and the boss fights and the kind of the, everyone kind of coming to him. But it's that bit when he's fighting. Um, it's that giant turtle. I can't remember what it's called. Um, but, you know, it, it knocks his health down and then Dagger comes in and heals him. Just that entire scene is terrific. But, um, but yeah, the game itself does deal with some heavy topics, despite the fact that it has hippo people. <laughs> 
yeah, as we've seen from Pixar and Ghibli, you, you absolutely, yeah. In fact, as as we were saying, it's kind of in some ways, it's the best way to to tell a serious story is by suckering people into thinking they're not <laughs> they're not seeing something, uh, going to see something serious. Uh, I'm thinking about you know, famously the first ten minutes of Up compared to the poster of Up, and uh, <laughs> like, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. What is this? What is this cruelty? Uh, yeah, totally. Dusk versus Tweak says the most vivid memory I have of the story is the end, which like eight had me believing our hero had perished. I don't know why I fell for it again, but I did. The big reveal during the stage play with Zidane revealing he survived and then Garnet running to him is just one of those perfect. I'm not crying. You're crying moments. Yeah, that's uh, I mean, there's some sumptuous CG throughout. And I got to admit, I did think that was really beautifully done as kind of cheesy as it was in a way. Um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's really nicely lit and animated and choreographed and directed and all those things um, to sell what could have been. And a, it's kind of know, a nice a mirror at the beginning of the game, moment. too, um, because, you know, you, you start out with the mm. uh, them on the stage and Garnet with her mother at that point uh, up in the balcony. And then you have, you know, kind of the the the. Not the inverse of that, but a, a variation on that where it's still a her up in the balcony, you know, and but and it's still the him down on the stage. But the situation is just so different that, yeah, well done. Magical Isopod says few games have made me cry and even fewer have made me straight up sob. Final Fantasy IX is one of them. The scene where Steiner and Beatrix set aside their differences and slowly become closer as they defend their city, not knowing if they'll make it out alive. It always hits me hard. But near the end of the game, when Zidane learns the truth of his origins and is in utter dismay, only to have his friends and allies slowly come to his aid as the excellent track You're Not Alone slowly revs up in the background. I'm genuinely getting teary-eyed just thinking about it. It's absolutely masterful in its ability to hit my feels like a runaway freight train. I love it to bits. I wonder if the, you know, the people I've heard from over the years who could never who never loved this game maybe because it wasn't seven or it wasn't eight or it just wasn't something that appealed to them i wonder if you know it's one of those where if they'd allowed themselves to get further with it they could have got to that point of caring about the characters and then having some of these obviously uh winning emotional beats that um that some people have found whether whether they could have been won over or whether whether that never would have happened it just would have been you know cold water off a duck's back kind maybe of i mean like i said i had a completely different uh reaction yeah, to this true. the first time i played it than i did to ha having played it a uh a across about the last month mm -hmm. we've obviously already uh touched upon the aesthetics and obviously we need to be careful of time mindful of it but uh just a little more on that um the actual look of the game visuals and uh, we'll talk a little bit about the technicals as well Steve Aaron says Square's attention to detail, such as the floating barrel bridge in Black Mage Village, really brings the locales to life no matter how fantastical. They make worlds that you want to live in, and that's a skill. Thematically, I thought, thought the choices made in the narrative were increasingly brave, especially when juxtaposed with the cutesy art style. Indeed, the character models are beyond delightful. That was a particular thing I wanted to ask you guys about. So the, the character models are incredibly bold and almost comic sometimes some in some cases grotesque um obviously i'm thinking of the queen and um perhaps zorn and thorn the sort of creepy uh diminutive jester clowns um but 
yeah, I I like I really like the character, the art design, the character designs in this game. I think Queena, obviously, it's absurd. You know, he she runs around with a tongue sort of lolling, you know, three foot <laughs> down its body, and and it's wearing a kind of uh, a, an eighteenth century washerwoman costume or something. But it's it's all so kind of mad um, and expressive that yeah, I I think it's absolutely great actually. I think that the character models work best for me when they are not supposed to be human um so uh-huh. like vivi and and Quina and I, I guess even zidane to to a point uh he's a little he, monkey boy y- yes but i mean he's aside from the tail he is supposed to be mostly human-esque in appearance humanoid sure uh, yeah um but uh, or i, I just I don't know. Queen is great. I just the first reaction to everything is just I'm going to eat it, and I I love that. So, uh, but yeah, no, I I think it it always I I don't think that it's a bad thing that they are striking a particular type of art style with humanoid characters like Dagger, um, or even um, uh, even Ico, I guess to an extent, and um, and um, Steiner. And, and Beatrix and, you know, all, all of the other characters who are supposed to be basically human. Um, I, it's not my favorite, but I see, I, I see, I don't, I, I see where they were going with it. And, and it fits kind of with everything else that's going on. But for me, I just liked better the characters like Vivi, who, you know, were not supposed to look like a human to begin with. Uh, it, it just fit better for me in that, in that respect. I, I do think some of the NPCs, um, especially the the hippo people, essentially, um, especially Hippo, like in the sharper PS4 <laughs> kind of character models, he's got this like dead vacant stare, and he just looks like the he looks like something that would haunt your nightmares. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, I agree. The uh, the kind of the non humanoid characters had some great. Even Amarant, I think, despite my kind of grumblings about him as a character, I think he actually he's a wild design. A, yeah yeah it's, yeah, it's quite design, a distinct yeah. yeah he is massive he looks... hair i mean yeah. really big hair big red hair <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i was gonna say amaranth is like a really creative design and it's just a shame that he's not that design's not attached to a more interesting character mm-hmm. um i do think um like freya's probably my favorite design um mm-hmm. just because it <sighs> It feels unique to this game. Um, like Vivi, Vivi is my favorite character, but his design is is very, very reminiscent of the the Black Mages in in past titles. Whereas um, Freya, just that that kind of hinting at the kind of classic dragoon design, but kind of veering away from it dramatically as well. I just think, oh yeah, that's a really, really appealing design. I think the one design that I'm not a big fan of is actually Ico's design, mm-hmm. um, and it's not because I think it's you know not well executed or anything like that. She she just feels like weirdly out of place with bit the rest generic, of the bit cast. Animated. Yeah. yeah, like she feels. Yeah, that's actually you've you've hit the nail on the head. She feels like a more anime esque character. Whereas everyone else looks like Amaranth looks like he's from a Gorillaz album cover or something. Oh right, yeah, <laughs> um, or something like that. But You're but like, um, but I I think yeah, everyone else feels like of a piece um, in in this fantasy setting, and and uh, yeah, Ico's Ico feels like she's in like uh, 
I don't know, some kind of uh, magical girl anime from the 90s. And she's supposed to be of the same race as Dagger, who they do explain sort of had her horn removed at some point along the way. But, like, you know, Dagger is presented as this just beautiful woman, and, you know, I think that they carry that through with the art style, whereas Aiko is just kind of this weird little blue-haired horn girl. Like, I I, I don't know. It just... She is only meant to be only like six or eight. Yeah, which is yeah. also kind of weird. Um, well, yeah, that this six-year-old is super horny for Zidane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she is magic though, and uh, yeah, she doesn't understand boundaries because she's <laughs> not <sick>. at all. <laughs> and she's got a raging horn. Uh, whereas <laughs> she does um, Garnet's, yeah, Garnet, Garnet's horn is um, yeah, it's been. Well, she's also removed. been raised by. You know, I would say human, but I'm not sure that her mother is actually supposed to be human. No. Um, I, I don't know what, what the deal really is there. We don't ever actually see Garnet's father, I don't think. Um, but uh, Sid, you know, her, her uncle, who, when he's not <laughs> a frog or a, an oglob, <laughs> is actually human. And uh, yeah, <laughs> oh that's... Oh my goodness. I, I mean, we. I would assume that she was mostly raised by humanoids. Um, so, you know, I, th- I th- that could be part of you know why she acts the way that she does is just because of her upbringing but um yeah i don't know i i don't like Iko. Iko was probably sid. my least favorite yeah sid's kind of amazing in this uh, non-playable sid uh, there's always a sid <laughs> oh, uh sid. yes and he's been he's been cursed by uh his wife basically for his wandering eye and hands and loins i think um turned into a into a bug which uh you then attempt to reverse and he gets turned into a frog and then of course the uh the old fairy story is reversed and uh, and she undoes it but um she falls back in love with him despite his uh, his philandering ways but um <laughs> it's kind of hilarious even a, a bit of a weird story arc that is that is something that i did like about the Ico thing is that she kind of ends up being their kid after that you know yeah that that was cute i i will admit it's that cute. yeah I also really liked when uh, Queena noticed that Sid had turned into a frog and had to have a debate <laughs> yes. with herself as to yeah, whether she I was going to eat Sid. Yep. Uh, and that's all happening yeah. as they're having a different discussion, as I as I recall. <laughs> yeah. Serious plot-based thing going on in the foreground, in the background, Queena going, frog, but not frog. Yeah. And again, Delicious? that's exactly the kind Question of... Mark? The, the the more kind of sophisticated storytelling I was talking about, actually, where it's a bit more filmic and a bit more, it's a, it's, it's a bit less stilted than 8 and 16-bit video games were. This was, we've talked many times on Kane and Rince about the difficult uh, sort of evolution into the early 3D era. But here, because they were three games into the PS1 and they'd kind of, you know, they got their head around a lot of the technical limitations, although we're just about to talk about some of those, they were able to focus on actually, yeah, moments like that where you could actually, yeah, be a bit a bit more comedic, but without it even being the main kind of, you know, front and centre, just a little aside. Uh, yeah. Mukudol from the forum says, I introduced Final Fantasy IX to my mum, a lady in her mid-60s, chronically ill, but fully with it last year. As expected, it was just the type of adventure to stir her Disney, uh, Tolkien, Star Trek, Star Wars loving, but not very controller savvy heart. I've sat and watched her play it extremely engrossed in the story and quite frightened of the battles. It makes me happy that it really does resonate with someone of her generation and that it does seem to be the type of universally appealing adventure that I remembered it being. Her one gripe, having fairly compromised eyesight, 
is the visual fidelity. I've looked at both the PS3 and PS4 versions, and while the latter has certainly made improvements on the characters in the foreground, their improved sharpness mainly serves to highlight how grainy the otherwise gorgeous background images look in this era of video games. A shame, I think clearer graphics, especially combined with the PS4 version's ability to turn off random encounters, would have made her stick with it all the way instead of having to take such long breaks that she has a hard time regaining momentum. I wanted to mention the first time I fired this up, again, 4K modern screen, fairly large. Uh, the While you will adjust over time, and I have seen the original game, and I've looked at the original game on smaller screens in, in videos and things recently, the first time you see those 1999 era pre-rendered backdrops on a large high-res modern telly, they are so smeary, it looks like an impressionist painting, which kind of works. But it's, um, they are definitely, it is a, a, a not very many pixels being spread across a very large area kind of situation. Um, but I certainly adjusted and um, although they're never going to look like a 4K asset, uh, certainly I think um, the world was still sold to me for the most part. Yeah, as I, as I kind of mentioned before, I think that was visually that was probably the thing that gave me the most trouble was those first couple of hours, the contrast between the really super clear, crisp uh, characters and, and new uh, text boxes and that kind of thing with those with the backgrounds that looked great, but not in the same way, I think. Yeah, they did put quite a bit of detail into some of them because there was one that um got me. It was. Uh, do you remember in Lindblom where there's that woman with the pickles cart and yes. there's a red mage who's wandering around and I hated yeah. that red mage because I used to play her in Tetramaster and I never actually ever beat her. She always beat me every time and I would lose good cards. And then there's a bit where the um, the black mage attack on Lindblom happens and then afterwards, now this could just be me looking at the kind of grainy textures and getting it wrong, but when I was walking through, she wasn't actually in there as an NPC, but off to the right at the back, it looked like they had drawn in a red mage slumped against the building, probably dead. Um, hmm. So it was just like they took an NPC, there was a battle, and then it was like, oh, she was a casualty, so she was just propped in the background then as a pre-rendered kind of a thing. Right. Um, I would believe and that. I just, yeah, yeah, and it was just a cool little detail that shows that, like, you know, just kind of awareness when they're creating the environments, and mm. uh, yeah, I really liked that. There's way more bustle to the streets. I mean, we're still talking limited numbers, especially when you, you consider that it took, say, Assassin's Creed until earlier this decade to start having what really looked like authentic crowds but compared to previous Final Fantasies where you would have maybe two or three fairly static NPCs you've now at least got you know three or four people actually wandering around or seven or eight people in a scene and they'll all say something to, to you it might not always yeah. be important it's usually not yeah. important but they'll all say some kind of line of dialogue once you go up mm. to them and a lot of them will play, play cards with you, although yes. I did not. Yeah, I did yeah. that the one time that they forced you to, and that was kind of it. Yeah, we'll talk a bit more about Tetramaster. Um, again, on the technical side, Jack the Blue Mage from the forum. Uh, a Blue Mage, therefore we should listen to Jack. Yeah, Queen says, I hold Final Fantasy IX to be as far as Square has ever been behind the curve with their long-running series. There was no voice acting to be found, despite having been present in many other PlayStation games by this point, including other RPGs. The battles have had uh, have their combat animations tied to a plodding 15 frames per second, occasionally causing actions to get queued. Ironically, a problem that could be made even worse by making battle speed faster in the options, as this merely increases ATB gauge speed. Most glaring, especially to a player in 2019, 
are the load times during transitions to battles. On the PlayStation version, these can run for over 20 seconds from dungeon traversal to battle input, partly obscured by camera panning, but with a not insignificant period of time spent staring at a black screen. Uematsu had mentioned scaling back on music quality in Final Fantasy VII to avoid lengthy load times, but I guess Nine's team threw such concessions out of the window. Yet still, this game reviewed well, and there was barely any mention in those reviews of the game's technical shortcomings. Just some comments here and there on the lack of voice acting. The Glacial game pace remains the main reason why this is the only game in a series I have never been able to go back to. So there's me sort of on one hand saying, by this point they'd overcome some of the technical things, but actually maybe they were pushing, this was a, a relatively late, it was a late gen PS1 game. Maybe they'd push things too far and were trying to cram too much into the memory. You've got that single speed CD drive and even on emulation on PSN, as Josh was saying, you're still going to be putting up with some extended load times. The modern versions do away with most of these issues, possibly not the frame rate. Thing. They I'm do sure. also, uh, this is something that persists in the modern versions as well. The one thing that I will very much agree with in the uh, the last piece of correspondence there um, is that the battle actions do sometimes feel like they take too long. Um, I had a yeah. fairly significant issue with my actions or my party's actions getting queued up, um, mm. especially if you're fighting a a um, an enemy or a boss that is pretty fast. Um, you you can choose your actions more quickly if you have auto haste turned on or something along those lines or just if your speed is is pretty up there uh but then sometimes you have to wait through several other turns before your character will actually do the thing that you've asked them to do and that mm. that i did find that's probably one of my main complaints with the game is just things don't happen when you think they should i can't talk about final fantasy without talking about the music Nobuo Uematsu returns once again. He spent an estimated year composing and producing around 160 pieces for the game, with about 140 ultimately appearing. During writing sessions, he was given a travel break in Europe for inspiration, where he spent time admiring ancient architecture in places like Germany. Uematsu has cited medieval music as a major influence on the score. He aimed for a simple and warm atmosphere, and incorporated uncommon instruments like the kazoo and the dulcimer. I create music that fits the events of the game, but sometimes the developers will adjust a game event to fit the music I've already written. Uematsu incorporated several motifs from older Final Fantasy games into the score, such as the original battle music intro, a reworked volcano theme from Final Fantasy, and the pandemonium theme from Final Fantasy II. Tantalus Band is also heard playing Rufus Welcoming Ceremony from Final Fantasy VII, near the beginning of the game. <laughs> I caught that, yeah. That, that, yeah. That's funny. Uematsu has stated on several occasions that Final Fantasy IX is his favourite score. Melodies of Life is the theme song of Final Fantasy IX and shares its main melody with pieces frequently used in the game itself, such as the overworld theme and a lullaby that is sung. This was performed by Emiko Shiratori in both the Japanese and English versions and arranged by Shiro Hamaguchi. I liked a lot of the music in this game. Uh, again, I think it almost throws you for a loop by at the start. You think, yes, this is all going to be much of a thing with um, recorders and pipes and um, sort of uh, chamber type music pieces as well. But 
later in the game you've got synthesizers you've got the usual jazz infused prog rock you've got um moody pieces pop pieces even um and all kinds of things the only the only bit i really wasn't keen on was the end song <laughs> the usual um schmaltzy end credits ballad which um i mean i like the fact that it played into the the themes of the game but the actual performance of it was very uh very kind of uh, 90s disney um but other than that yeah there's some there's some really great stuff here it was a real treat because so many of these pieces i just didn't i just hadn't ever come across uh, and it was uh, it was nice to get to finally hear them in context as well. I will say that, uh, and I, I had mentioned this on our, our Slack channel uh, earlier this week, I think, that uh, I had never caught before that the uh, the theme when you're in the uh, in the kind of dwarf volcano part uh, that 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 was a remix of Final Fantasy One's theme, and or not the theme, but the uh, the um, music from the similar area in Final Fantasy 1 uh, and I thought that was very cool uh, it was something that I don't know that I would have caught if we hadn't been playing through all of them in sequence and uh, I, I appreciated that a lot the music that really stuck with me were was the more kind of moody atmospheric stuff so um, Leon actually mentioned um, I think it was either on Twitter or the Slack chat or probably the Slack channel the uh, music that plays when you're going down the the tree, mm. the spirit tree, yeah, uh, that's really really good. Yeah, um, I like that. and and I also like um, the music uh, associated with Garland as well. That kind of like, <laughs> like, like I think it was like, um, what's the piano called in a church? The organ. Oh, the organ. <laughs> organ organ music Church sorry organ. my brain just died uh sorry the the organ music that plays with uh garland was mm -hmm. just like really creepy and atmospheric and and lent the kind of the story stuff that was going on um uh during during that point in the game some weight um yeah and also shout out to the black mage village yeah. music <laughs> which yeah. um given how dark everything that goes on in that village is it's weirdly upbeat. And well, really we're all going to die inside so, of a year, yeah. but I mean, this 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 kind of slaps. So uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a soundtrack that I still listen to whenever I need to have like background instrumental music when I'm focusing mm. on anything. Um, I think there's there's some absolute winners in there. I think Beatrix's theme, uh, "Rose of May." is um that's just a terrific piece of piano music um i love zorn and thorn's theme there's something <laughs> mm. about their theme song that is just yeah. it, it just it, it, fits. it borrows into your head and it stays there for yeah it just suits them so perfectly and um there's one i think it's called is a city under siege it's um oh do you know the bit where you have to rescue dagger from their zorn and thorn are extracting the eidolons and you have a, a 10 minute timer mm. and uh or is it a half hour timer and it's that kind of like intense music playing in the background yeah. Um, I think that's an absolute winner as well. But yeah, it's a terrific soundtrack. Mm. T Bone two five four agrees. Final Fantasy IX soundtrack as a whole is my personal favorite of Uematsu's work. It has several themes that are referenced many different times in different styles and unique ways. It can be bright, colorful, playful, and innocent, as well as dark, brooding, and melancholic. A joy to listen to. Right, well, here we are, all this way in, and we've already sort of referenced bits of it, but let's talk a little bit more about the actual gameplay, as well as all the story and graphics and all those lovely things. Um, so, yeah, the I guess this stuff, um, to me, as a, I guess, you, you know, I've played a fair few of them, but I suppose I'm relatively a casual Final Fantasy fan and player. Um, the sort of the, 
the subtle differences between the systems between games is less of a uh, of a deal maker or breaker i suppose um i obviously uh, didn't have to suffer through or suffer through if if for those who didn't like it the drawing system of the previous game um there were some recognizable elements in this one of previous titles as well but um but overall i enjoyed the the sort of the setup with the effectively the abilities um so you you equip certain items and the abilities are linked to those you then learn the ability and then you have the ability and you can use other items um i didn't spend too much time using underpowered or equipping underpowered stuff to gain extra abilities but i imagine for the likes of chris who uh play this game in a way that will you know basically to make your progress through the late game you'll want to have certain abilities that certain low items gives you early on right yeah absolutely and actually i like that the abilities were tied into the items because every final fantasy game has grinding in it but you mm-hmm. know in the passives all kind of just for exp points so you could level up whereas i yeah. liked that in nine because you're also getting the ability points it kind of just made that grinding feel a lot more productive as well mm. you know um which I, I yeah they just made the entire process a lot more kind of it does make a scratch that mental itch of like okay yeah i'm just running around in circles fighting yeah. the same monsters but i'm progressing my characters in a good way and you just get little little chimes which show you something has happened some something is improved in a minor way so there's less of that sort of waiting 15 battles before you get a level up and you get a little a little jingle a little endorphin rush after every battle often every other battle certainly um so yeah I've, and I it allows for a certain degree too. of personalization too because there are some uh mm. items that will teach you things that you know you can't get until later on in the game but then you know once you get the uh the one that i'm thinking of that i most recently was uh was messing with was the light rope which gives you the half mp ability and you want to teach that to as many of your casters as possible so it's like well do i want to teach this to my healer first or do i want to teach this to my damage dealer first and you know you it's it's interesting to me in that uh, you you might not always get to choose your party, but you can customize them in that way. I wonder if again, without you know, sort of telling other people how to play or or whatever, I do wonder sometimes, having played quite a few of these games and not considering myself like a major fan, but enjoying them in ways. I wonder if people who try to brute force Final Fantasy games and JRPGs in general by just leveling up, leveling up and not looking at the micromanagement, the actual, the tactics side of it. Because I think, you know, I know like Leah, you like to play with a guide. I prefer to play without one. But whenever I do look at one, I see what inevitably happens is it will say, equip this character with this, this, this and this. Take these characters here because you'll need to use this, this, this and this. And all these are all things that I don't have, you know, like because it's all about the it's preparation like you shouldn't really if you're playing well if you know your route through the game as someone like chris does you're preparing for the future so it's almost like built for replayability in a sense in in that your first playthrough you kind of don't know what's coming up but the next playthrough you can say well that this boss that i'm about to fight is definitely gonna attack me with these spells and I need to reflect those or or in some cases it's a more generic, uh, you know, a general general over skill like a reflect or a um, white wind in the case of, of Queener where um, you've got a blue mage who can heal you as well as your natural healers and all that kind yeah. of thing. I guess that's where the, the depth of these games is. Yeah. And I, I think that if you aren't playing with any kind of guide or anything like that, then I, I think that that's 
that's definitely something that uh, benefits from having more save points, really. <laughs> because, you know, you might... Th mm. There are multiple ways to overcome things in this game. You might have, uh, you know, your, your characters all equipped with, for example, the antidote skill. Um, so, you know, you can... None of them will be affected by poison or venom. But if you don't know that, then maybe your kind of all-purpose thing is to have your healer... Um, equipped with the antidote skill and then that healer can pull people back from the other things by you know casting or using items on them um so y there isn't just one way in most cases to to uh, attack something uh and it, it it does allow for that that degree of um what do you want your people to be able to do T-Bone254 says on a three-day weekend shortly after it released i went over to a friend's house and saw that he had just started playing Final Fantasy IX. I convinced him to restart the game from the beginning so that I could watch him play it. Not long into his play session, we discovered that the game could be played in two-player mode. While only one person was able to control the overworld character, each of the battle characters could be assigned to player one or player two. At first... Did not know no. that. At first we thought this was rather gimmicky, but as we played we realised that it changed how we had to approach the random battles. No longer were we able to rely on our singularly minded tactics, coordination and communication were key to our success. It was too easy to forget that our individual characters were not as important as the whole team. Many times we would yell at each other over uh, what the other had chosen to perform at some critical moment in a battle. Mostly it was me, me getting yelled at for refusing to give up my attempts at stealing from every enemy we came across. Well, it is worthwhile, I will say. <laughs> So what started out as me getting a nice preview of the game turned into a non-stop three-day marathon to complete it. We stopped only for restroom breaks, a couple of quick naps and a few snacks. <laughs> Unfortunately, we weren't able to play the game to completion before I had to return home. We ended up making it somewhere near the end of disc three. Since we were both, <laughs> I know. Since we were both young, impatient and eager to see the end of the story, we doubled the save on another memory card and both finished the rest of the game by ourselves. While it was still fun on my own, it wasn't nearly as fun as it had been playing with my buddy. Getting to experience Final Fantasy IX over a weekend stay at a friend's house makes it a gaming experience I will never forget. So, secret co-op mode. I guess it maybe it says on the back of the box huh. to check it out. I don't know, but it makes yeah. no mention of it anywhere. I never knew it existed. Also, the fact that they got to disc three in a weekend makes my first attempt at the game on my first weekend look absolutely pathetic. <laughs> well, you didn't have a co-op buddy. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Eidolons are this game's summons, or whatever they've been known as in the various games over the years. I th Here's where I did mess up, because I didn't really use them much, and I only learned at some point on Disc 3 how you actually really use them, by equipping Garnet or someone with a jewel and then using it until they learn it. Uh, so I ended up with virtually none of these, and I didn't really need them either. But uh, I guess... I, I had a look at all the animations um, at some point when I, when I figured this out. I was like, oh, I, I should actually look at some of these. Um, and I didn't overall, I didn't think they were quite as good as the ones that I loved from Final Fantasy VII in terms of their drama. So I wasn't that fussed. But have I completely missed out here, either in gameplay or audiovisual terms, anybody? I, I don't think you have, because um, my immediate point of comparison in terms of the animation and stuff is um, mm -hmm. Final Fantasy VIII. Yes. And I... For all for all that game's flaws, I think the way it handles summons is really really brilliant, and um, 
the animation for like uh, specifically Shiva really stands out. Like the whole the, the way that that is, for lack of a better word, filmed and and edited together. It's just really cinematic and just really stylish and cool. Whereas Shiva in this it just feel it just mm. feels a bit weightless by comparison. Yeah. Um, and also the damage output for summons doesn't feel as um impressive as pre as previous games and i ended up just giving up using them towards the end of the game because i've got vivi there and his you know when he's fully upgraded with his fire it's so much more powerful than uh, than um garnet summons and Mm. it was just it was a better use of garnet's time to just heal constantly spam you know spamming healing spells completely so something that i actually found out and i did not know this before uh before this playthrough but apparently your damage output with summons actually does stack with how many of that specific gem you have in your inventory so Garnet, Mm. the garnet that you get uh, relatively late in the game, I think it's somewhere on disc three, um, that teaches you Bahamut, that doesn't do a ton of damage by itself, but if you keep picking up garnets or synthesizing them, every one that you get, and I don't think it tells you this, like, anywhere, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know of anywhere in the game that it actually says this, but yeah, the more you have... Yeah, the more you have of a specific stone <sighs> in your inventory, the more damage that what? someone will do. Yeah, yeah. And, and that doesn't exist blood. anywhere. Like it's not yeah. even in the um the actual you know the book that comes with the game. Yeah. It's it's not in there. You'd have to find it either in a guide or if you just find I found it, it online. online somewhere. Yeah. I was looking up something else and I ran across this oh and I was like, goodness. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, I feel stupid. Well, me too. Uh, no, don't, because <laughs> no, it's hidden. It's completely hidden. Yeah, you don't I, need it. I but... still didn't, even knowing that, I didn't use a lot of summons. I Bahamut was the only one I used, really, towards the end of the game, uh, and that was just when she didn't need to heal. So, uh, yeah, it's it's not... I don't think that they are as well handled here as they... They're an interesting part of the story, certainly, hmm. but I don't think that they are as interesting a part of the gameplay as they were in, in 8 or even 7, really. Mm. Yeah. Elbarg from the forum says it had been 15 years since I had played Final Fantasy IX and the day it became available on the Nintendo Switch eShop I immediately downloaded it and started playing. 15 years is a long time to keep claiming a game to be your favourite in a series without having returned to it just to make sure so I thought I'd give it a quick playthrough hitting the highlights bringing down the big bad guy and confirming to myself that it was still as wonderful and magical as I remember. It turns out I have a very poor memory Almost every story beat, every city's devastation, every existential despair seemed brand new to me. And it was fantastic. 30 hours later, my path to the end is clear. But no, I'm running around, catching frogs, hunting treasure with chocobos, filling out Queena's blue magic list, and yes, even facing off with Osmar. The game took me in as it must have done over a decade ago and consumed my attention until I satisfied enough to trudge towards that final battle. As the happy... Final scene played, and Zidane was reunited with Dagger. I knew undoubtedly that though my memories of the game were almost non-existent, the emotional attachment, that gut feeling that this was a game that I adored as a teenager, proved to be 100% accurate. Which is nice, because it's not always the case. Uh, Before we wrap up, we must talk a little about Tetramaster. So the card games, the sub-games in the Final Fantasy games, kind of, I guess, 8 was the one where it really sort of started to be a thing that was going to be in every game. Like, yeah. there's going to be some kind of extra game. 
and obviously other developers have gone on with that such as cd project red and things it's 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 a thing um but here so this can't wait until we talk about blitzball <laughs> blitzball in uh, in a little while um <laughs> soonish Soon. but tetramaster so i read i had a look because when we when i was still going to play eight for the show uh, i sort of said to the guys who had played it like what do i need to do as regards to the card game which i can't remember the name of final fantasy eight's card game Triple triad. Triple, triad. Triple triad and people were saying do play it and play it hard and play it a lot and you'll get loads of stuff out of it i googled tetramaster and everyone just said don't bother it doesn't make any sense and you don't get anything for it uh, can anyone stake a claim for tetramaster being the secret amazing ccg i'll, I'll step up to the gun no, I, I, I'll, I'll give it a go <laughs> go for it why not um when i first played it i absolutely hated it and that's a really bad start to uh, a defense argument for it but um <laughs> yeah it's uh I, i'm one of those people though like i'm a sucker for a mini game in a game anyway and there's something about card games in a game that i tend to really enjoy like i, I loved triple triad and final fantasy 8 i loved gwent in the witcher 3 um the thing with tetra master is it's one of those games that i did learn to enjoy a bit more as i learned the mechanics of it but like there's i have three issues with it one is that there's too much of a reliance on random number generation which is uh, a bit of a pain mm-hmm. um two i would have liked if it actually tied into actual gameplay mechanics you know in final fantasy 8 you can you can refine cards into like high level items if i remember right um whereas in nine yeah. you can't actually do you, you just collect them for the sake of collecting them and yes and the ps4 version you get a trophy for having one of each and that's kind of it that's the end goal and uh, mm. the third issue that I have is when you lose a game, you know, in The Witcher 3, if you lose Gwent, all you lose is a couple of crowns and that's the worst outcome. But yeah. I always hated losing your best card ah. at the end of losing a, a triple triad match. And Double jeopardy. A, yeah. But when you kind of learn how the, like, it has too many stats, I think, for a card game. But when you learn how they work, it does actually get more enjoyable. But I don't think it would ever be good or I don't think I could ever recommend it to anybody. In fact, I don't even think I enjoy it all that much, but there's still that part of me that... Uh... Spirited defense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my defense is essentially, it's not as bad as everyone says, but it's still kind of bad. Um, but yeah, I think they overly complicated it. I think they were trying to kind of capitalize on people loving Triple Triad and they, they overdid it. But it is a, it's an entertaining distraction every so often. All right, Rob25x, uh, we're sort of uh, looking at uh, overarching summaries here. Rob25x from the forum says, I didn't play much of Nine. A nice art style and great music is what I remember about it. A nice mix of interesting characters too, but the cringy, cliche-ridden, melodramatic FMVs and music videos firmly put me off ever wanting to revisit it, sadly. There's more there, Rob. Promise you. Toon Skatoon says, unfortunately, I didn't play Final Fantasy IX until it released on Switch almost 19 years later. It has been my first Final Fantasy experience, though not my first JRPG experience. I assume this style of play was only used because technical limitations required it for Square Enix to get the truly cool Lovecraftian monster designs into the game. But woof, did I not like getting ambushed in the open world while I was trying to work out how you acquired summons or skills. I suppose that's why they abandoned this mechanic in the series' later entries and why the more recent versions I played give you an option to turn off the random battles, which I chose to do for big chunks of the game. Of course, this meant I was underleveled for the final form of the final boss and 
How was I supposed to know that they were going to let that weird jellyfish torso thing cheat and use its grab bag of status effects at the very end to instantly kill my party members, or worse, put them into a zombie state? Yet, for all my complaining, I did have fun playing this game, even though I know I missed the ideal time in my life to play it. And finally, Sage plus Onion Knight says, This was the first Final Fantasy game I got at the time of release, having been obsessed with 7 and 8. I think I originally, being an early adolescent at the time, missed the relative lack of grit from those games and found parts of it a bit childish, despite, of course, being a child. As I got older, I came to see how wrong I was. The tone of the game is as well thought out as its PS1 predecessors, similarly balancing levity and darkness, albeit at a different ratio. What I love about this game, in retrospect, is that it's a love letter to the series as a whole, managing to walk the tightrope of paying homage to the past of Final Fantasy while simultaneously having its own distinct identity. Ultimately, it's the perfect closer to what I see as the series' PS1 golden age. Also, it's the only Final Fantasy I've actually managed to complete, instead of getting wiped out midway through a tricky final dungeon and assuming, yeah, they probably sort it out. Huh? Thank you very much, everybody, and we also have three word reviews of this 40-hour game, or thereabouts. Starting with uh, Stu Marshall with Chris. Yep, Stu Marshall says Sex Pest Simulator. <laughs> yep. Chuck Chuck Macho says Those Load Times. Richard Sim says Worst Card Game. Joseph Finn says Dagger Hairstyling Services. Samtic says Want Mail Koopal. Ben McSkelly says Vivi Emotional Heart. Alabaster Mage says Vivi Best Boy. Nobuo Yagami says Nobuo's favourite score. Jesse says maybe I eat. Porg of Prophecy says I so happy. <laughs> Neil Hood says most refined Sakaguchi. Alex Cole says greatest hits album. Will Across says Sakaguchi's swan song. Eric Mickles says PS1 victory lap. And Sam Keating says, warm, fuzzy feeling. Nice. We went from sex pest simulator to warm, fuzzy feeling. <laughs> <laughs> That's running the gamut right there, as we like to do. Uh, so to conclude our feelings in a nutshell of Final Fantasy IX and recommendations, or not, start with Leah. Yeah, so I, I, I think I've more or less summed up what I think uh, a little bit earlier on. Uh, in that I think that it is a pretty good place to start if you haven't played a Final Fantasy game before. I think that as a first-time experience, Final Fantasy IX holds up pretty well. Uh, I, I didn't come into this thinking that I was going to have as positive an opinion as I ended up having. Uh, I really love Final Fantasy VIII, so it, I, I think in my experience at least, that it has been kind of rare to find somebody who likes both of them um, it, because they are so different. Uh, but my emotions say Final Fantasy VIII, but Final Fantasy IX is pretty good. So I, I think that if, um, if you like this kind of game, it, it's a, a good one to go for. I, uh, my opinion has shifted... Uh, if not drastically, then at least significantly from uh, what I remembered 
in my previous attempts to play the game or previous uh just complete playthroughs uh to what I've done over the past month or so and I do enjoy and uh in fact recommend that Final Fantasy IX be played uh by anybody who likes the genre. Nice. Yeah, I suppose my, as I say, my history of playing the series is a bit spottier, particularly than Josh and Leah here, possibly Chris too, uh, in that I've ended up, you know, it's as frustrating to me, I'm sure, is it more frustrating to me than, than any listeners, because uh, you've had lovely podcasts with other people instead. But um, but I, my plan was to play all of them in order and be on every show and so on. But uh, as it turns out, I've ended up missing a few. Um, so back with nine and... I, as I say, I played the first few hours back in the day, a long, long time ago, and um, I didn't know what to expect, just in the sense that this one had a kind of slightly odd and um, inconsistent word of mouth. I think I understand why, because it is so kind of aesthetically and uh, at least seemingly on the surface, um, it had a different intent to its immediate two or three predecessors, which were so formative to so many people. But actually, I ended up really enjoying this quite a lot. Um, I thought I was going to be bored going through the motions, the Final Fantasy kind of motions again, because I guess I guess I don't enjoy everything about the gameplay as much as, say, someone like uh, Leah does. Uh, maybe Again, maybe any of you on this panel, um, I can get a bit ground down by the grinding and all that kind of thing. Um, but actually everything here kind of fits together. And for me, I think this is, of all of the ones I've played so far, the most cohesive and coherent Final Fantasy game. Uh, it did feel like, again, putting the technical issues of the PS1 version to one side, it felt like that uh, they'd got to a point here where they they were comfortable with what they were doing. Um, and so they felt, and they felt a little bit more able to go to town with the storytelling. And as I say, for whatever you might think about the way this game looks and starts, it goes to some familiar but nicely, uh, impressively and engagingly dark and serious places as it goes on. Uh, so, yeah, um, could do with a bit more. We didn't really talk about the world map. There's there's not much of that in this. I wouldn't have said there's like less kind of engaging with the but maybe that's the way I played it in terms of not fully exploring a world it felt more like um a linear story even though it's not as linear as final fantasies to come but anyway i digress a uh, cool final fantasy i would suggest having played it on ps4 the best way to play this right now would be on switch in handheld mode in the same way that older games look better shrunk down on smaller screens um this doesn't look the best necessarily smeared on a 50 plus inch tv so yeah play it on switch use the aids if you want to a little bit to smooth your progress and have a magical old time. Josh. I think the biggest compliment I can pay this game is that um, I'm actually planning to play more of it after this recording. Nice. Um, I've got a save uh, just before the the final two bosses, and I think I'm going to go around and mop up some of the side quests that I didn't have a chance to do for this recording, try and get some of the ultimate weapons and then go back to necron a second time and actually smash his face in uh, as revenge for the the miserable experience that i had uh, uh fighting him for this for this recording um yeah i i really really loved final fantasy 9 um and 
I didn't like Leon. I didn't actually know a lot about this game um, in terms of the narrative beats. Um, like, I feel like it's impossible not to know some of the most significant story beats of something like Final Fantasy VII or even Final Fantasy VI, just because those games are so talked about um, in in the the culture. Um, whereas this, that like the moment that really struck me, and I knew that I was gonna be on board for this game's brand of storytelling was when you've just fought off um black waltz number three um and vivi just stares at this this hat from a black mage who's just fallen off the ship and uh, you know assume basically the assumption has fallen to their death fallen to their death um and vivi just stares at this this hat for a beat and nothing said um but you read so much into that moment and what that that meant to him and yeah i just i i w- i was so used to final fantasy being heavy-handed and mm. being very um verbose in its kind of theming and um and its storytelling just over explaining everything to have these moments of quiet but for them to speak so much about those characters and and what was going on thematically it was powerful um so i i highly recommend final fantasy 9 um i think it's as leon said probably the most um uh, cohesive of the entries i've played so far um yeah definitely and play it on switch mm-hmm. let's conclude with our guest chris yeah um to kind of mimic what josh was saying i think the best compliment that i can play pay the game as well is that i've played it a lot and i still can like plan on playing it a lot more as well um it is my favorite final fantasy and i've played all of them at this point it's got a fantastic story it's got a great world to it and i think the thing that i like the most is that the cast of characters that it has are actually probably the most in my opinion the most well fleshed out out of a final fantasy parody where like it feels like they're i don't suppose maybe six as well six is probably maybe a little bit better in that respect but in terms of everybody getting a bit of screen time and kind of character development um i think it's unfortunate that this was the third one on the playstation one that it kind of followed after final fantasy seven and eight because there's always going to be that comparison between those two games um which is a bit unfair whereas i think if you just treat it as a standalone game and experience it for what it is you will have a great time. Uh, for newcomers to Final Fantasy, or maybe newcomers to some of the older Final Fantasies, I think the combat mechanics and stuff like that might be uh, a little bit dated, but all the same, I think there's a fantastic story, um, fantastic soundtrack, and just a, just a wonderful game for somebody to play. Wonderful. Beautifully said. It remains for me, Leon, to thank Josh Lear and Chris, as well as our correspondence editor, Jay, plus, of course, you for listening. Chris, now I know you said your YouTube channel is currently a little dormant, but... There is some Final Fantasy IX stuff up there. If people want to check it out, where can they find that? There is, yeah, absolutely. It is the true Iron Gamer. Um, now, it, it, it is not fully dormant. I am going to get back to it. It's just, again, just with life being what it is, I haven't yeah. had a chance to record any new content. But yeah, absolutely. There's some Final Fantasy IX stuff there. And all going well, there'll be more in the future. Fab, the true Iron Gamer on YouTube and Twitter. And Twitter as well, yeah. Brilliant. Well, thanks again for joining us. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, listeners, please subscribe, rate, review, wherever you get your podcast from. I say it now in case you might have the opportunity to go and do it right this second. Best of all, though, if you want to do something to support us, patreon.com slash cane and rinse. 
A dollar a month gets you every podcast a week early and often extended, such as this one, beyond the two hours for the free version, and an exclusive monthly podcast and other bits and bobs as bonus as well. Next time, in issue 365, a completely apolitical and subtext-free jaunt around the charming Pony Island.